Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome to April, boys. The year flying by. April means NCAA, the end of March Madness. We've got the semifinals tomorrow. The championship game on Monday. April also means it is close to Masters Week. And then, of course, Major League Baseball. Today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years, New Works has a fix for you. And they do it all, folks. So just go to newworksplumbing.com. You'll be glad that you did. And if you happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night, no problem. New Works will be there with their 24-7 service. That's right. New Works Plumbing, N-E-W-W-R-X Plumbing.com. Check them out. You'll be glad that you did. Again, that's newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X Plumbing for all of your plumbing needs and repairs. You know, I was doing my Listen App show yesterday and I received a call from one of my supporters who's been uh, listening from day one and uh, his name is Jeff and he brought up the movie American Underdog the movie about Kurt Warner and then I talked about hey I announced Kurt Warner when he played for the Iowa Barnstormers and we were talking about how amazing of a venue that was and then I got some messages after that on social media and I actually had a friend reach out and he goes you know you always talk about your NBA stories you should really enlighten us more on what your career was like and your stories that really stick out when you were just beginning in the business because Back in uh, the mid-90s when Kurt Warner played for the Iowa Barnstormers, I did have an opportunity uh, to be in Des Moines announcing one of the games that he played in. I was the announcer for the San Jose Sabercats for quite a while, both uh, in the 90s and at the turn of the century. Probably, I don't know, 15 years maybe doing Sabercats games, uh, 10 years, whatever. And I had some amazing partners. You know, I worked with Kena Turner for a number of years. Uh, Love Kena, the former 49er. Uh, I worked with George Atkinson. Uh, I worked for a while with Jack Tatum. I mean, it was pretty amazing, uh, some of the uh, people that I worked with. But, you know, I remember Kurt Warner and the Iowa Barnstormers. You know, back then you didn't know who Kurt Warner was. They knew who he was there. But, you know, I remember going into Des Moines and they played in that barn. And that's really what it was. It was like an old field house that looked like a big oversized barn. 
And the atmosphere before that game was unbelievable. I mean, the tailgating went on for hours uh, before that game. And the thing I remember more than anything was how cool the Iowa Barnstormers uniforms were. I mean, their helmets were awesome. They were just incredible. Uh, whoever designed those helmets uh, should have won an award uh, because it was uh, incredible. And, you know, I don't remember that much about the game. I'd be lying if I said I remember how well Kurt Warner played because I don't. Uh, but it's just kind of neat to reflect back on some of the athletes that I had the absolute pleasure of seeing before they became real famous. And Kurt Warner was one of them in the Arena Football League with the Iowa Barnstormers. You know, I always talk about going to Bowling Green, and my first love was a hockey announcing. I always wanted to be a hockey announcer, and I was blessed to be able to announce uh, college hockey for a number of years. And Bowling Green was a national powerhouse when I was there. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget when I was recruited for lacrosse to go to Bowling Green, my trip on my senior year in high school. I didn't even know Bowling Green had a hockey team. I honestly didn't. And uh, the guys that were chaperoning me for the weekend said, you want to go to the hockey game? And I'm like, hockey? I'm like, hell yeah. And Bowling Green was playing Ohio State. And we stood right against the glass. And it was it was right then and there that I kind of got hooked about going to Bowling Green. It was a phenomenal game. And Mike Layout was the goaltender. Mike ended up playing for many, many years. It was an all-star goaltender with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Byron Shutt's brother, Steve Shutt, was a prolific goal scorer for the Montreal Canadiens. There were some other really big-name players that were on the ice, including Ken Morrow, and I'll tell more about that story with Ken Morrow. But I announced Bowling Green hockey for a number of years, and I remember when Bowling Green was playing Wisconsin uh, in Bowling Green, and both were national powerhouses. Wisconsin may have been one or two in the country at the time, and Bowling Green was probably in the top five. And uh, Chris Chelios was Mr. USA Hockey, and Chris Chelios was unbelievable in the Friday and Saturday series against Bowling Green. Like you knew when you were watching him that you were watching somebody that was going to be a big time player. And Chelios played for many, 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 many years uh, in the National Hockey League. He, he was a great, great uh, player, great longevity. And then going to Notre Dame and then when Notre Dame would play at Bowling Green, uh, their captain, Dave Poulin, went on and had a storybook year with the Philadelphia Flyers. And there were many others like that. You know, Bowling Green had many, many players that went on and played in the National Hockey League. Guys that had tremendous careers and won Stanley Cups. I always talk about, you know, one of my dear friends, George McPhee, who's now uh, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. He was the general manager previously when he put that team together. And before that, he was with the uh, Washington Capitals as their general manager. He talks to me about going over to Russia and meeting Alex Ovechkin's parents and, uh, of course, drafting him. And before that, he was with the Vancouver Canucks. But, you know, George was the Hobie Baker Award winner when he was a uh, senior at Bowling Green, which is the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy Award. And that's George. George won the Hobie Baker Award and then went on and played in the National Hockey League. But a lot of the players that I covered at Bowling Green when I announced, you know, you, you had an idea that they would be in the National Hockey League but you really didn't have an idea how long they were going to play. I mean, Gary Galley and Dave Elliott were defensemen at Bowling Green. They graduated the year after I left, and they both went on and had long, long, over 10-year careers uh, in the uh, National Hockey League. Gary actually is a commentator now with the Ottawa Senators. But I used to see amazing hockey players. Again, back then, you 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 had an idea that they would be professional, but you didn't really know 
how good they would be. Brian McClellan was another one. He and George were the co-captains at Bowling Green. And Mac went on and won a Stanley Cup with Calgary, uh, played with a couple of other teams. And Brian was hired by George uh, to be George's assistant general manager in Washington. And then when George uh, got fired from Washington, Brian McClellan became the general manager. And what was so interesting, they grew up in Guelph, Ontario as best friends, okay, literally inseparable. They were together all the time on campus. They were co-captains of Bowling Green. They both ended up going on to play in the National Hockey League, George with the Rangers, the Devils, and the Jets. Mac played with Calgary for a number of years, including the Rangers and a few other teams. And then Mac ended up being a scout for George, and then George hired him to be an assistant GM. And then when George left, all right, then became the general manager of Vegas. In the first year of the Vegas Golden Knights, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, and who'd they play against? That's right, the Washington Capitals, the team that George had really put together, and then Washington ended up winning the Cup against Vegas, George against Brian McClone. You know, it's just amazing how uh, things work out. But I always remember those years early on of covering some players, and now we'll get to Kenny Morrow. Ken Morrow and Mark Wells were on the Bowling Green hockey team when I was there. Kenny ended up with it with just a storybook, incredible career. He and Mark Wells were on the Miracle on Ice 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. And I remember, you know, before I really got to know Ken, I used to see Ken at the McDonald's on uh, Wooster Street, all right? Seriously, because that's his, his apartment was right behind there. Now, for whatever reason, man, I don't know why, but... Kenny Morrow was always in McDonald's, and there was another uh, sub-sandwich shop next to it called uh, Sam B's. And I used to go to Sam B's a lot. I always used to run into Ken Morrow there. And then when I started doing Bowling Green Hockey, I got to know uh, Ken Moore, or Ken Moore, rather, uh, because of my affiliation with the hockey team and traveling. But when Ken Morrow and Mark Wells were on the Miracle on Ice team, it was fascinating to be able to watch that. I'll never forget that Friday night, uh, against the Russians when the team and Herb Brooks, they did the impossible. The Mike Ruzioni go-ahead goal, and that was not the gold medal game. And you also have to remember, those games were not shown live back then. That game was on tape delay. That was not shown live. And then, of course, uh, the United States had to beat Sweden to win the gold medal, uh, which they did coming from behind. And, you know, the famous line by Herb Brooks, you know, saying if you come this far and you don't win it, you'll, or, you know, what was it? You'll take it to your grave. You know, if you if you don't win this, you'll you'll take it to your grave. Or, or, or really incredible. But to be at Bowling Green and Ken Morrow and Mark Wells, both Bowling Green Falcons, being on that team was beyond believable. And Ken Morrow ended up going right from the Olympics to the New York Islanders And the Islanders won the Stanley Cup that year and then won three more. So think about this. Ken Morrow goes from the Miracle on Ice, goes right to the National Hockey League to play for the Islanders, and wins four Stanley Cups for Al Arbor. I mean, there are very few people on earth that could have a better four-year run than Ken Morrow did. And, of course, he played for many other, many more years uh, with the Islanders. And Mark Wells also was on that team. Mark never made it into the National Hockey League. But I'll never forget this story. I was announcing a game at Bowling Green shortly after Miracle on Ice. Now, for those of you that were not alive in 1980 or don't remember, the players on the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team were national heroes. 
Literally, they were like Neil Armstrong coming back from the moon. They really were. They that that's the ticker tape parade in New York, and I can go on and on to give you an idea of how big these young men were after winning the gold medal at Lake Placid. Ken Morrow came back to Bowling Green for a weekend. All right, and he comes into the Bowling Green Ice Arena, and he had two sheriffs. All right, as police escorts. He had a law enforcement escort. This is Mark Wells coming back to Bowling Freaking Green and had to have a police escort because he was a national hero. And I interviewed Mark in between one of the periods of the game that I was doing. And I'll never forget Mark Wells walking up the stairs to the press box, being flanked by two sheriff's deputies and everyone trying to get a piece of him. And I remember when I interviewed Mark, I had everyone in the arena turned around and looking at me and him, okay, because they just wanted to be in the proximity of Mark Wells. Those guys were national heroes, and that was a great period of time. And I still think to this day that is the greatest sports accomplishment in the history of the United States. I don't think you can top that. I really don't. I do not think that you can top that. And I'm not sure that you will ever top that. I don't know if that will ever be topped as the best, most incredible sports victory in the history of the United States. But I always talk about, you know, early in my career, you know, and that was, you know, I remember getting on an airplane to cover Bowling Green. We went to Sault Ste. Marie, which is in the Upper Peninsula, playing Lake Superior. And I remember the first time that I went on a plane for work in college, announcing Bowling Green Hockey. And I thought that was the, like, I thought I had died and gone to heaven, that I was actually going to announce a game that required going on a plane for. I thought that was, like, the neatest thing in the world. I I really did. You know, it was a one-hour flight to uh, Sault Ste. Marie. I don't even think we took off from Toledo. I think we took off from Detroit, which was about an hour bus ride uh, from Bowling Green. And then if you you drove from Bowling Green to Sault Ste. Marie, it was eight hours, but for whatever reason, they ended up flying uh, on that particular Friday-Saturday series. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. I just thought it was the most amazing thing in the world that I was actually announcing sports in which I was getting on an airplane uh, to fly to the game. But fast forward a little bit. You know, I'm at Bowling Green. Again, saw some of the real top names that left there uh, to go into the National Hockey League and a couple of others, by the way, that ended up being on the Miracle on Ice 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, but did not know them the way I knew Ken Morrow and Mark Wells. I used to see Mark all the time because his girlfriend lived on the same floor as my girlfriend at Bowling Green. I would see Mark all the time, both, you know, at the hockey games and not in the hockey games. But, you know, moving forward, I always talk about hockey being really uh, the the sport that I wanted to announce more than any. And I was so blessed uh, to get a phone call in 95 from Mark Stolberger, who was the producer for the San Jose Sharks. And the year prior, I had gone to San Jose and gone to the press box uh, to do my own demo tape for hockey. And uh, they were great at San Jose to allow me uh, access to an auxiliary press box. And I ended up doing uh, a the whole game, and I, this was radio play-by-play, and I sent a tape to Mark Stolberger, and I never heard from Mark. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from Stolberger 
1995. And he calls me up and he goes, is this Grant? I go, yeah. He goes, Mark Stolberger. And I'm like, hey, how are you? And he goes, listen, my TV announcer is taking maternity leave. Uh, would you be interested in filling in? And I was just like, oh, my God. And he said, I listened to your hockey play-by-play, and it's excellent, and I would love to have you do the games. And I was literally like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, my dream is going to come true. And my first ever game was San Jose against Vancouver. And what's interesting about the timing is I knew Vancouver better than San Jose because the year before, Vancouver had been in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Rangers. And George McPhee, again, one of my best friends, was the assistant to Pat Quinn in Vancouver. And the year before, I had gone to games three and four in Vancouver, game five in New York, game six in Vancouver, and game seven back in New York while I was the sports director at Channel 31 in Sacramento. And I knew Vancouver's roster better than I knew the Sharks roster. That was with Pavel Bure, the Russian Rocket was his nickname. They had Trevor Linden. And I always talk about my first game. They had Dana Merzen. I remember his jersey number. It was number five. And I was working with Pete Stemkowski, who I grew up idolizing as a New York Ranger. I mean, Stemmer was a fan favorite in New York. And so I'm doing the Sharks, my first ever game with Stemmer. And it's the Sharks in Vancouver uh, at the Shark Tank. And Stemmer keeps on calling Merzen Merza. And in the middle of the game, Stolberger yells in our headset, it is not effing Merza, it is Merzin. And he spells the name M-U-R-Y-Z-N. And I'm doing the play-by-play while he's yelling at Stemma. It is fucking Merzin. Like literally in my headset. And I'm just like, oh my God. And then the next game was... At the Great Western Forum against the LA Kings and Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry. And I'm just thinking, wow, my dream has come true. Not only am I getting to do the National Hockey League, but I'm getting to announce a game where Wayne Gretzky is playing. And to this day, I look back at my career and I'm so blessed to have announced an NHL game that had Wayne Gretzky in it an NFL game that had Jerry Rice in it, and then obviously doing the NBA with games against the Lakers when Kareem and Magic played, obviously the Michael Jordan era in Chicago, Bird, McHale, Parrish, you know, all of those unbelievable players and working up from Jordan and then to Kobe and Shaq to LeBron you know, now seeing what the great Greek freak has done and watching him courtside, the great Giannis Adetokounmpo, you know, I've been pretty blessed. I really have. But I thought it would be interesting just to share some of those stories early on in my career, uh, really before even the NBA. And I'll always look at hockey and think about some of the great names that I was blessed and privileged to announce. And then, you know, the Kurt Warner story, which Jeff brought up on my Listen App show, And I always talk about the Arena Football League years. I used to love doing Arena Football, and the San Jose Sabercats were owned by Fry's Electronics and John Fry and his family, and they ran the team like an NFL team. I mean, it was the only team in the league that had their own airplane, and I used to love flying on that airplane because it was great, and I'll tell you a couple of stories here, but a lot of times I would have to take a red eye from doing an NBA game and because I had to do a Sabercats game the next night. And very often I'd be on the West Coast and the Sabercats would be on the East Coast, whether they would be playing in Florida 
or New York or wherever the case may be. And so I would fly all night and sleep during the day, get up, do the Sabercats game, and then get on the team plane to fly back to San Jose. And their team plane was phenomenal. I mean, it was freaking beautiful. It was a retrofitted 727 with uh, new engines on it that could have a flight range where you could easily go coast to coast. Because if you're on a regular 727, you wouldn't be able to go coast to coast. The range was not long enough. But uh, they put super engines on this plane. The inside of the plane was absolutely uh, immaculate, beautiful, gorgeous. So anyway, the team, we'd fly five hours, six hours from the East Coast to San Jose. You know, we would land sometimes two, three in the morning uh, in San Jose. And the team would get off the airplane and they would clean the plane and they would refuel the plane. And then we would take off and fly into Sacramento because believe it or not, the Sabercats parked their airplane at McClellan Air Force Base. So it was perfect for me, uh, even though it meant sometimes landing at McClellan at four in the morning, but that was okay. You know, before I left uh, to go do the Kings game, I would park my car at McClellan and then get to Arco Arena or wherever I was, but I would always have a car waiting for me so that, you know, I'd get off the plane at McClellan, boom, be in my car and I'd be home uh, in 20 minutes. But I'll never forget this because I always used to sit in the cockpit on the flight from San Jose to McClellan. I I love flying and sitting in the cockpit was great. And the first thing I remember the first time I was in a 727 is when the plane started to take off down the runway at San Jose, it was the quietest, most amazing sensation ever because the engines on a 727 are all the way in the back of the plane and you can't hear them. It is a quiet, quiet, quiet takeoff in the cockpit of a 727. You really can't even hear the engines. It's the most, it just blew you, blew me away that you could barely hear any noise from the cockpit of the 727. So, you know, it's an 18-minute flight and I'll never forget the first time doing this. Uh, they go, you know, the, you know, we had a headset on. They go, the, the McClellan is down there and you could see some of the lights from the actual area of McClellan, but there were no runway lights on. And the pilot was telling me, yeah, you ha- we have to turn the lights on manually from the cockpit. I'm like, really? And they go, yeah, we have the right here. You have to hit the radio control like once or twice, and it will illuminate the runway. And they go, we're going to do it right now. And I'm telling you, you would not be able to see anything. It's pitch dark. And then all of a sudden, the lights of the runway would illuminate. And I used to think that was the coolest freaking thing in the world. Like, Wow. To land the jet in the middle of the night at McClellan, you got to actually turn on the lights to the runway. I just thought that was fascinating. But I used to love doing the Sabercats. And, you know, obviously Kurt Warner is the most famous player uh, to come out of the Arena League. And it's so great that they made a movie of him when you think about his story. But I was blessed to be in Des Moines, Iowa and do a game of the Iowa Barnstormers with Kurt Warner. And never in a million years... Could you ever envisioned that guy quarterbacking the Iowa Barnstormers being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and having a movie made about him? His life story is remarkable. I have not seen the movie yet, but I plan on seeing the movie uh, for sure. But those are some of the uh, early years of my broadcasting memories that stick out at me. And I just thought today, you listen, it's April 1st. No, these are not April Fool's jokes. These really did happen to me. I'm not kidding you. It really did. Uh, But I was blessed. And those are some of my early years. But I always look back at 
you know, doing those games in the Arena Football League and watching Kurt Warner play and announcing a game that he played in for the Iowa Barnstormers and a couple of the, the hockey stories that I had and some of the great players that I saw play in college. I mean, really, some of the National Hockey League's best, Chris Chelios, Dave Poulin, they were perennial all-stars in the National Hockey League. It, it was uh, Ken Morrow, Mark Wells. Think about that. You know, I'm doing Bowling Green hockey in the late 70s, and both these guys end up playing for the Miracle on Ice. It's fascinating to me. And then George McPhee, who to this day is truly one of my closest, dearest friends, uh, the the years that I spent with him at Bowling Green and then living with him for a summer right after Bowling Green and helping him train uh, to get ready for the season with the New York Rangers. I mean, we had some just phenomenal, uh, phenomenal uh, memories back then. And, you know, I always tell the story when George was in the playoffs and they lost in the second round and we ended up going to the bar of the Sticks in Manhattan, which was owned by uh, Phil Esposito and I believe Ron Duguay had a piece of that bar and one other uh, Ranger. We were there, and then all of a sudden we end up in Rye, New York, where the Rangers trained at the pub. And there was the, the pub was uh, a small little bar in Rye, New York, where a lot of the guys would go to. And I'll never forget the owner and the bartender. His name was Hitch. So we got there Friday, probably at like three in the morning, and we stayed up all night. We stayed there, literally, I'm not exaggerating now, I'm not making this up. The Half the New York Rangers team was there, and then more guys came in, and we stayed there all day Saturday. And literally, Saturday night, Hitch tried to kick everyone out. He's like, I got to leave, I got to sleep. And we were like, Hitch, come on, no way, no way. And they go, who's going to 10 bar? I go, Hitch, I 10 bar uh, in college for four years. I go, show me how to work. You register. He goes, I can't. I can't have you give away the bar. I go, Hitch, I'm not going to give away the bar. Teach me how to work the register. I will 10 bar. And I literally got behind the bar and started tending bar to Ron Greshner, okay, Tom Laidlaw, Dave Maloney, Don Maloney. I mean, all the New York Rangers. I mean, it was like, I couldn't believe it. Rejo Rootsalina was there. I mean, I can go on and on. Carol Alt was there, the supermodel cover girl who was married to Gresh. I don't know if they were married at the time. They ended up getting married. But that was one of the great nights in my life, tending bar to the freaking New York Rangers hockey team. And George couldn't believe it. And we ended up, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up. We ended up staying at the pub for until 3 in the morning, until probably the sun came up on Sunday and you know the saying you know we drank the bar dry we we drank the bar dry we drank the bar dry the New York Rangers drank the pub in Rye New York dry the the beer bins were empty uh I remember Lades and Gresh were drinking Jack and Coke all night there was no more Jack Daniels left I mean we're at a freaking bar and they drank the bar dry Literally, drank the freaking bar dry. And you can say whatever you want. Hockey players can drink like you cannot believe. And I couldn't believe it. And you might say, no, wait a minute, Grant. Were you drinking too? You know, I only drank beer. And beer didn't really phase me. I didn't drink the hard stuff. I didn't drink Jack. I didn't drink gin. I didn't drink vodka. So I could keep going for a long time. And I was coherent enough. And by then, I was on adrenaline. I'm like, gosh, I'm tending bar for the New York freaking Rangers hockey team in Rye, New York. Like, that's one of my great memories uh, growing up early in my career as well. And I say early in my career. I mean, gosh, all I was doing back then was announcing college sports. Who could have ever 
written the rest of that book. Hope you enjoyed those stories because those were some great memories in my career. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is now time for our CrowdUltra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. Dave wants to know, what do you think about Bernie Sanders introducing a bill going after MLB's antitrust exemption? I think politicians have better things to do than worrying about MLB's antitrust exemption. I really don't care. I don't have that much interest. Ryan asked, why have so many quarterbacks been traded this offseason? You know, it seems to be a new trend in the National Football League, Ryan. It seems like, you know, we saw it with Stafford. You know, we're seeing it more and more now. Teams, salary cap, number one, I think that would be uh, the main reason what they get in return. But the salary has a lot to do with it. I mean, what do teams want all the time, Ryan? They want a franchise quarterback, right? I mean, Seattle had a franchise Super Bowl winning quarterback, and he's not there anymore. I mean, go figure. Trevor asked, do you believe Enos Cantor was blackballed for speaking out? I do. Yes, I do. Brian wants to know who are the three best NBA players to come from UCLA. But that is a great question. I'll say, obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, and this is a tough one because there are so many. I'll say Reggie Miller, all right? And you could come up with others. First of all, you got to have Kareem on there, and I think you got to have Bill Walton on there. And, but, you know, you got Marcus Johnson. I mean, I can go on and on. It's not even fair to mention names with the, uh, the, the great players that have come from uh, UCLA. Kyle asks, would you like to see Tiger Woods playing the Masters? Who do you want to win the Masters? Yeah, I think we all would love to see Tiger Woods playing the Masters. Tiger is good for golf. And so, yeah, it would add a tremendous intrigue to the tournament. As far as who do I want to win? I don't really root for anybody to win the Masters. I just want to see, you know, a great, Tournament with a great final round, Kyle. But I don't really have a favorite golfer uh, per se. Colin asks, who do you think is the best team left in men's March Madness? Well, of the four teams, I'm going to think Kansas. I know that a lot of people are hoping that Duke wins for the sentimental Mike Krzyzewski on his way out. But I'm going to say Kansas, Colin. I'm going to say Kansas. Sean wants to know, has Penny Hardaway done at Memphis after the recent reported violations? Sean, if they're true, I would say the answer to that question is yes. Let's wait for the investigation to come out and see what happens. All right. Uh, Josh wants to know, who's the winner of the Tyreek Hill trade? Josh, I will let you know in three years. How's that for you? Chase asks, what would you want back for Garoppolo? Well, I would want back high draft picks. You're not going to get a number one for him. There's rumor that they had two number twos on the board. Uh, Chase, you get back whatever you can get. I mean, the Niners are in a position now where they may have to take less 
than they were expecting. Martin wants to know, is Jamal Crawford a Hall of Famer? You know what? He's a Hall of Famer person. He's a Hall of Fame individual. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame basketball player. I know he had a tremendous career. He scored 50 or more with three different teams. I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a Hall of Fame person. I'm okay if you want to make the argument that he is, but in my opinion, he falls just short of a Hall of Famer. But I'd be okay to debate that with you if you want to call up Listen App, and we could have some fun doing that. I really would. Neil wants to know, are you surprised Carlos Correa left the Astros? No, I'm surprised that the Astros didn't do more to keep Carlos Correa. That's what I'm surprised about. I really do. Who do you think will be the best teams in baseball this year, Jerry asked. Well, the Dodgers are stacked. I mean, it's the Dodgers to lose, right? They have the best lineup. They have one of the maybe the best lineup in the history of baseball. You can make the argument. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, they're the team to beat, and everyone knows it. Bob wants to know, is it a good choice for the Steelers to hire Brian Flores? I don't have any problem with the Steelers hiring Brian Flores. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin's one of the great coaches in the National Football League. And if Mike Tomlin thinks that Brian's good for the staff, then that's dynamite. Go for it. You know? I mean, when you ask me, is it a good choice? I don't have enough information about what's going on with the Steelers and what they need. You know, Brian Flores is a good football coach. I don't think anybody would argue that. Uh, And Mike Tomlin is a great football coach. So, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Are Max Crosby and Chandler Jones going to be the best pass rushing duo in the NFL. I don't know if I would go that far just yet as saying the best, but they're up there, Phil. It's a very good question, by the way. Ben wants to know, did you watch any of Deshaun Watson's introductory media conference? No, I read the transcripts from it, but I did not watch it. I did not watch. All right. Mike wants to know, should the Yankees extend Judge's contract before the season begins? You know, probably just for what he does for the franchise, the notoriety, the ticket sales, and everything else, and he's a hell of a player, uh, yeah, they probably should. They probably should. All right. Uh, Jake wants to know, what's your take on white chocolate saying Michael Jordan wouldn't be the Michael Jordan he was back in the day if he played today? I didn't see that, and I think that's asinine and stupid. He'd still be great uh, if he played today. He'd still be Michael Jordan. I don't think that's accurate at all. Jake wants to know, do you ever watch the women's NCAA tournament? Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, I haven't watched it this year, and nor will I watch it after the comments made by the ESPN announcers two Fridays ago. That completely turned me off. You got the uh, Final Four of women's basketball going on as well. But, yeah, I've watched the NCAA women's tournament quite often. I think it's very exciting. You know, obviously what UConn has done, uh, Tennessee, you know, Louisiana Tech was always very good. Yes, Yes, I've watched it quite often. Alec wants to know, do you think uh, Colin Kaepernick could return to the NFL? I would say highly, highly unlikely. Brendan wants to know, are the Chiefs still going to be contenders? You know, as long as Patrick Mahomes is upright, Brendan, I think so. I think so. Finally, Nick asks, is Julius Randle becoming too toxic for the Knicks in your opinion? I don't know if toxic's the right word, but after the storybook comeback that he had last year, He and the Knicks have arguably been the biggest disappointment in the NBA this year. It's time for Rant. And today's rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company, audio, video, and home theater. Just go online, hometheatercompany.com. April Fools, we do have Major League Baseball in just a few days. 
We're also going to have the runner on second base to begin extra innings games. I didn't like it when the rule was implemented, and I hate it even more after watching it. Why do we have to have a runner on second to begin an extra inning game? Why? I mean, why? You know, is baseball just going to continue to jam new rules down our throat where we don't even recognize the game anymore? How about a compromise here? How about play four innings of conventional baseball beginning in the 10th inning if the game is tied? And after four innings, if the game is tied, then I'm okay. Put the damn runner on second. I understand managers freak out over their pitching staffs and the length of games and, you know, travel schedules and umpires, and I can go on and on. All right, play four innings of conventional baseball. If you don't have a winner by then, and normally you do, then put a freaking runner on second base. I hate the way baseball is running their sport. I know they have to make changes. I hate the way the game is so specialized. I really do. Baseball has turned me off, and this is another rule that continues to turn me off from the game. I do not like it. A big boo on baseball. They should have gone back to the conventional way extra innings has always been played. And that's my rant for today. That is my podcast for today. Hope you have a fabulous weekend. And thank you so much, as always, for listening right here. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.